Welcome to the podcast, Living on the Creek. Um, My first podcast, I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the stories that's in the book that I wrote back in 2012 called A Little Laughter, A Few Good Friends, and A Whole Lot of God's Grace. And uh, this story was, this this book was written about some of my family and friends and my dad's friends and some of my cousins and the people that lived on Horselick Creek. A little bit of an introduction to it is this story is about a man by the name of Frank Witt and his wife Ophelia, their family and people they knew, loved ones, uh, and love. they love to talk about people. Uh, it's a book of true stories that begin during hard times. And Horselick Creek, and for you young guys, you, you, you may start listening to this and say, well, that's a bunch of old stories, but I'm telling these stories the way my family and friends and I recall them, and these stories may or not may or may not be exactly the way they were told, but they're all real and true stories. Some of them even include a dose of good, clean humor. Frank was a man who was look who loved to look at the humor and the joy in life, something that we all need to do more of. Frank never forgot a story. He was 89 years old when he passed away, and he could still tell you stories that that he told and and knew about uh, 50 or 60, 70 years. And all this happened to him while he was growing up on Horselick Creek. And he loved storytelling, especially when it involved what he called his people or his kinfolks. The Lakes family is the source for most of these tales. Frank's mom, Debbie, was a Lakes, and Frank had enough of the lake's blood and genes, if you will, to remember all those stories right up until he died in April 2010 at the age of 89. My prayer is that you will enjoy these real-life stories. Maybe they'll touch your heart, bring laughter and smiles to your face, maybe even a tear to your eye as you remember your past and maybe some of these people in these places. This is uh, the man and woman, husband and wife, father and mother, who are the inspiration for this book, Frank and Ophelia Witt, was my mom and dad. Um, Because of their obedience to God's holy word, it illustrates the rich rewards of hard work, love for the family, friends, and God. These stories are the legacy of 63 years of marriage, their children, grandchildren, school, friends, love, hard times, and they called it great and glorious times. May you be inspired as you see how this family followed God and looked to Him for guidance and, most of all, for grace. And I'll uh, go over a story here, the first story, which is chapter 1 in this book. Frank Witt was my dad and the son of Charlie and Deborah Lakes Witt. He was raised or reared, as he would sometimes refer to it, on Horselick Creek in Jackson County, Kentucky. Loam was the official name for the area. And as a boy, Frank went to school at Bethel on Horselick, which is the name of the creek that runs through that area. Later, Frank went to Morse School, which was just a little farther up Horselick Creek. Morse School was located at the end of Wilder Ridge, just off Highway 1955 in the Pine Pine Grove area on Pine Grove Ridge. My mom, Ophelia, went to school at 
Pine Grove School for eight years. Bethel School was a one-room school. The teachers at Bethel were Liza Hurley, Pearl Hillard, Hilla Little, George Sparks, and George Johnson, and others over the years. It was about three or four miles to school, and almost everybody would wade the creek to get to school. Now, wading the creek means you have to roll up your breeches legs, or you have to hold up your dresses real high and walk across the creek real slow and careful so you would not fall on the slippery rocks lying in the bottom. Sometimes Frank's sisters, Virgie and Evie, would have to take Frank underneath their arms to carry him over the creek and on to school because he was little and he liked to go real slow when it come to going to school. Also, going across the creek too fast might cause you to miss getting to see a crawdad pushing its way up under a big rock so as to hide itself from intruders. As a boy, Frank would wander off track a little and look for chestnuts along the way, slowing him down a little, which is understandable for a boy. A boy that's going to school and don't take time to stop and look for chestnuts, well, there's just something wrong with that. Frank could not remember ever getting any toys for Christmas at home. One time he remembered getting a box of stick candy. They were deprived of almost anything sweets besides a little honey that they might find in a bee tree about once a year and some sorghum they would they would find later in the year. I've often wondered if that was why Frank loved candy so much. In his later years, if you were around Frank, you would notice he always had several selections of candy within reaching distance. Right up until the day he died, he would have candy within arm's reach. Every year for Christmas and for his birthday, he would get candy along with other gifts, and he seemed to treasure the candy. By then, he'd already obtained three or more of about any gift you would get him anyway, so candy was his next choice if you ask him. Frank told my sister Connie a story that she held dear to her heart. He said that while he was attending school, one of his teachers, Liza Hurley, brought him a little red and blue car for Christmas. Frank was so excited about the car, which was made out of wood. Frank played with that car on a big flat rock on his way to school. And he would let the car roll down that big flat rock. And that's just another good reason a boy might be just a little late for school. I thought about that red car and how much that must have meant to him. Not many people on Horse Lick had toys or enough money to buy any and probably not enough time to sit down and make a toy for a child. These days, children have so many toys, they don't know what to do with them. We seem to have trained our children that nothing they get is important and to be sure not give anything away to the less fortunate and until it's worn out or won't work anymore. People and their children are living all around us, starving for food and fellowship, with no toys for Christmas and no friendship from the neighbors. It seems the attitude in this culture today is, I will do my thing with my family and we forget to fellowship with others. But that was not the case in those days. Children just did not have the gadgets that they have today, so they had to just sit around and tell stories. What a wonderful culture to have been brought up in, taking time to sit down and talk with your family. The teacher that gave Frank that little wooden car, Liza Hurley, was Wiley Hurley's girl, and he was the proprietor of that store on Hurley Ridge. 
now called Wilder Ridge. That store's not there anymore, of course. I don't know what that little red car cost or if the teacher's husband made it, but it sure would cause a little boy, only having a rock or a stick in the woods to play with, to have a love for Miss Hurley and maybe learn a great lesson in giving, not just taking. Frank told his daughter Connie a short story about riding a mule in the dark one day. Frank rode a mule from home down on Horse Lick to Wiley's store up on the ridge. It was late in the day and had gotten dark, and he had to stop and ask where the store was. He was just a little boy and only had been there one time, maybe before. I guess by the time Frank reached home that night, he must have been a nervous wreck. Riding in the dark with no light was not what you wanted to do. The mule probably knew his way back home anyway. Did you know that you can ride a mule after dark because he's steady-footed? If he's been anywhere before and then back home, and if he has any sense at all, you can almost turn the reins loose and he'll go back home. You used to have to watch for the limbs and the brush that might drag you off, being especially careful if you're riding after dark. I remember Frank... My dad telling me this little bit of information when I was a boy, I decided to go on a coon hunting trip, riding horses and mules with Ricky Davison one time. It was so dark you could hardly see your hand in front of your face. I just knew I was never going to get back home because I was lost. However, I remember what Daddy Frank had said earlier. If I was going to ride anything, I'd rather ride a mule. That sounded to me like he would not have been on that trip to start with. So I just tied the reins together and laid them loosely on the saddle horn, letting the mule lead the way, and eventually we showed up back at home. When I look back, I guess I must have looked like a little miniature version of Festus Hagen, dragging back in that night. I sure was glad to see the top of the hill and the lights of home. Frank made it home that night, and I can imagine what a thrill it must have been for him to see the old carbide light on the old coal lamp burning when he crossed the creek. There's just no place like home. Thank you for listening to the podcast.